We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. It's our first podcast of July. It's a special one for us for many reasons. And not all of those reasons are for football. Before we get there, folks, iTunes. iTunes, iTunes, iTunes. We could really use that five-star review. It helps us. We really are not in a place where we're trying to ask you for money. We, we Seriously. Steve, do we ever ask these people for money? No. We don't ask no, no, anyone no. for money. We don't even ask no. them to give me money. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's Steve Ribeiro, a little Steve on the podcast with us today. Stitcher. SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play. We don't ask for money, but if you support us, this helps us get sponsors, okay? 
we're doing the best we can to not have to ever ask people to put to uh, donate to uh, mm-hmm. a GoFundMe or a Patreon or so on and so forth, because I think we can do it this way. So, folks, help us out there, please. That contest that's been going on since before Steve Ribeiro was born is still in effect for iTunes. Uh, the review there, uh, five-star review, energy in the contest to get that darkest ticket to NFLShot.com. And don't forget also we're on IEBeatRadio.com. They air our shows on Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. It's about 400 degrees out here in New York City. The Sixers didn't get LeBron, but you guys did, so that's fun. It's been a been an interesting day. It's pretty crazy free agency in the other sport. So, and we we do want to touch on that by the way, because I think this does impact the game when it comes to the Rams. I really do. I think anything that goes on in L.A., the, the, just the competitive nature of the market, the fact that you are out there competing for dollars, LeBron going to L.A. I think does impact the Rams in various different ways. I'm serious. I mean, because if you're going to come down to choosing to purchase a Rams ticket or a Lakers ticket, because some people can't afford both. I'm just yeah. saying. And I'm sure we I, have a lot of Lakers fans that listen to this show. I'm just going to yeah. think we can assume I, that. I think we can assume that. Okay. So, but that's not the number one topic tonight. We're one episode away from completing our tour in the league series. We're not going to do that tonight. We have a special show for you instead. It's so special that we're actually going to have to knock out two of our sponsor ads first because we want to focus on that subject. The subject is former Rams safety, Nolan Cromwell, who arguably, and we will argue this a little bit, I'm not sure where we stand yet. Steve doesn't know yet. Maybe he does, hasn't told me. Maybe, just maybe, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that. So before we even get to the interview, let's go ahead and, and give some thanks to our sponsors out there. In L.A., you know we have a lot of history with, with football. Rams history, a long time, a long time coming. If you want to get a piece of that history with a personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood team, Grit Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was offensive lineman for the team in 1953 all the way in 1957. It's a great story about his son and his father team played for in an era of glamour, glitz, future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norman Van Brocklin, Elroy Crazy Lakes Hirsch, Tom Fears, Les Richter, all this in a story that spans the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and also on Twitter at, at hollywoodsteam. It's available with hardpack and electronic form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also find it through other various booksellers on the web. I think eventually he told me when we talked a little recently that uh, it'll also be on paperback at some point. Folks, it's a really good read. I'm on Steve to read this book. Steve, read the freaking book, man. I Come plan on. on it. All right. And it's worth every penny. It's it's just a good story. It's just a good story. Also, I'll let Steve cover this one, the Golden Ram Barbershop. Of course. That is the Golden Ram Barbershop out there at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. If you're looking for a good barbershop in the Orange County area, if you like the old barbershop experience, you've got to check out the Golden Ram. Sal Martinez opened his shop as a Shrine of the Rams the day of the the day the team left for St. Louis, and he's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so you got to give him a call, 74894-RAMS or 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK. Tell him who sent you so he knows, and he'll give you a nice discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, you're going to give Kyle a call, 714-894-7267. A visit to his barbershop is worth it just for all the Rams Malibu 
but also because Sal's a great barber and he'll love talking Rams with you. So trust me, guys, we've gotten haircuts there. We know it's a great experience. We know you're going to have one too. Yeah, well, I mean, I left there looking like sexual chocolate. What can I say? I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm, just, you know, I'm making me look good looking for a moment. Okay, folks. Last week I caught up with the great Nolan Cromwell. Um, I mentioned there are there are actually three football players who I looked up to growing up. You guys all know about my man crush on on Jim Everett. He's a, been a frequent guest in the show. Uh, Nolan Cromwell is another one of them. And matter of fact, he was the first football player I got a card for, like the football cards, the old Topps cards. Remember those? Of course. Did yeah. you ever collect? Did you collect them? I, I collected cards. Yeah, football, basketball. Had a lot of baseball cards, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. You know. But, oh yeah, gosh. <laughs> of course, I collected Don't, the, the Pokemon. Cards. You start losing man points and start getting away from those and going to Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, come on. Don't hate. Oh. They're all great cards. Did you play Pokemon Go too? A little bit. Yeah. I don't play it anymore, but <laughs> it was it was a fun game. I'm a All classic right. guy. I like the regular RPG style Pokemon games on my handhelds. Uh, you know what? I'll just stick to the old to the platform instead. So those handhelds, platforms for me. That's we're off topic, folks. <laughs> here we go. Here's our interview with Nolan Cromwell. Great one. Okay, we're here with former Rams defensive back Nolan Cromwell. Nolan, thanks for coming on the show. We're glad we could sit down and learn more about your life and your career. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, it's been a long time since I've done an interview. <laughs> well, i got to be honest. When I first became a Rams fan, the first player I was introduced to, it wasn't Eric Dickerson. It wasn't Jim Everett. It was you. I actually got a pack of football cards and – your card was in there, and it was oh, thank you. your last season. I remember it. I remember going through everything and learning more about you, and you were like one of those first guys I looked up to as a football player. So it's a little surreal for me, surreal for me now to come back and interview you all these years later. I'm almost 40 years old now, and wow. I still remember that Nolan Cromwell football card with the Rams and and what it meant to me to have that was my first Rams football card. So. Well, thank you so much, Derek. It, I tell you what, it, it's nice to be remembered. And today, you know, everybody is looking for what's what's now. And sometimes things are forgotten. Well, it, it, that is what we wanted to do here. Is we wanted to talk to you about your life and your career because we don't want to, we don't want your life and career as a Ram forgotten. So uh, immediately here, the first thing I want to get to is, is see if I can jog your memory a little bit, going back to 1977. The Rams drafted you as a defensive back. In the second round, you played quarterback. I can't. Yes, I, I I played quarterback my last two seasons, my junior and senior year. Uh, I was a safety my freshman and sophomore year at Kansas. So, so I ended up, uh, you know, making the switch my uh, junior year. So in the end, you you switch back to defensive back when you you know are getting to the NFL. What caused that? Was the Rams saw you as a defensive back or? What made what led you to making that decision? No, they saw me as a defensive back, no question. When they talked to me prior to the draft, they, you know, they said that uh, they were definitely looking at me as as a uh, as a safety, and it, it was interesting. And you know, I expected to be drafted as a safety. We ran the wishbone offense at Kansas at those last two years, and and I could uh, I was very capable of running that type of offense. But uh, a quarterback in in the uh, NFL, no way. I, I I couldn't throw the ball anywhere. <laughs> so 
what was it like though when you, when you got that call on draft day? And, hey, I'm going to be you're, we're, we're taking you. You're going to be a Ram. Well, I was actually I was actually in class. I came back from class and my roommate was leaving, and he says, "Hey, there's a number. You're supposed to call this number. You were drafted by the Rams." And I said, "Ah, no way." And he says, "Yeah." He says, "There's a number there. You're supposed to call it." And so I got in there. And there's a number, and and uh, and I believe it was a two one three. And so I called it. My golly, it was true. And it was, so I was pretty excited. So this isn't like it is now then. Like to, in today's world, the, the draft is everything. It's got four days of TV. Guys are in the green room getting ready to get drafted. You're telling me you were in class and they actually leave a message for you and you call them back? <laughs> well, yeah, it was. You know, for, for me, you know, I, I definitely didn't want to sit around and wait and wait to see what what happens. And nothing was publicized. Nothing was on TV. There wasn't, you know, the only thing was on the radio. Uh, it was just out there. So I didn't I didn't have any intentions of sitting around in my apartment and wait uh, to see if I get drafted the first second the second day. So uh, I went to class, and uh, fortunately it was for, for me, I got drafted early in the second round, and and it was it was pretty pretty neat. Okay, and then you turned around and you you made an impact early in your career there. It didn't take long. But what was it like being a rookie in the 1970s? Well, you know what? The, the expectations of your draft choices at that time for the Rams were you didn't have to start. You didn't have to play. If you were the number one pick, you were the number two pick or three, you, know, you didn't have to play. In fact, they told me, I would uh, I would play uh, special teams my first year. I would be the nickel back my second year in the defense, and then I would uh, you'd, I'd become a starter the third year. And that's exactly what happened. They told me exactly how they had it laid out, and they drafted me. And and really the the Rams at that time under Don Clarkson, you know, they drafted players that could come in learn the system, they knew they had talent, learn the system, and fit in when they wanted them to fit in. And they, uh, Bob Grzynski, as an example, was the first-round draft pick of my year in 1977, and, and he was out of Ohio State. And they told him, you'll play special teams your first year, and you'll start your second year. And that's what happened. So, it was, you know, they had a plan. They had exactly what was going on. And there wasn't that that pressure of coming in and being the starter right away and and learning on the go. You learn the system and then where you fit in the system, and then then they put you in. So things definitely have changed a lot since then. Was that patience and that plan they showed in you, or with you and any other players for that matter? Was that what helped you be ready? No question. Developed in nineteen seventy nine. No question, it it helped me. There was there's so much you learn the first your first year out there that you you know just making the transition, how fast the game is, things are you know are are happening and things are fast in practice where it's supposed to be super slow. You know things were happening so fast, but the pressure that are put on these players and and there's a great example of giving a guy an opportunity to learn the system, giving him a year or two was uh, Aaron Rodgers. He, they drafted him first round in Green Bay. He sat on the bench behind Brett Favre for four years. 
he was the number one draft pick. Now everybody congratulates uh, Green Bay of, of that pick because Aaron is just, you know, he was ready to play probably two years prior to where he, when he finally got the start and they traded bread away. But Aaron, uh, he come in and he knew what to do. He knew uh, what coverages were. He, he was not surprised on anything. I think the young players these days are really at a disadvantage to where we were when we came. But on the flip of it, there is free agency now that we didn't have back then. You belong to the, I belong to the Rams and that's the only place unless they want to get rid of me, then they could. But there, there's no, there was no plan B. There was no free agency. There's none of that. So you could take the time and develop players. Now you get, you really get them for three to four years. And then if they're, if they're a quality player, then you're going to have to pay big-time money to keep them on your team. That 1979 season where you, you took over a starter, that's also the year the Rams won their seventh straight division title. That's their first year right. of the Super Bowl. What yes. made the difference in that team compared to all the previous years where they fell short? I think what happened that year was we ended up – we made plays in the passing game that typically I don't think the Rams were in the past had had made from the standpoint of if you remember the Dallas game, Vince Ferragamo hit a hit a big play to Billy Waddick about twenty yards down the field and then Billy took it in and scored I believe scored the touchdown and we went up and and our offense scored points. They were at a position that, that I I know that Ray Malavasi just says, Hey, attack attack them. Our defense is good, good enough. We will hold them, but go ahead and attack, use an attack mentality for the offense. And that's kind of how the game was called. And that was not Chuck Knox's philosophy. Chuck believed because he had probably the best defense in the, in the National Football League for those seven years, in five or six years in there, that he believed we, we could win the game. We just couldn't – we don't want to make any mistakes offensively. When you get into the playoffs, then, you can't score points. Well, you're playing Dallas, you're playing Minnesota. you got to score points to beat those teams. And we just uh, struggled in the playoffs doing that. Now, in the Super Bowl, that was, to many, a big – obviously, it was a big surprise, a 9-17 game there. You guys gave the Steelers all they could handle. What was that – just playing that game like for you? You, know, you guys are playing from a home – basically a home field. They're in Pasadena. Right. What was it like playing right. that game for you? Well, you know, it was exciting because you finally, and everybody was excited. You finally make it to the Super Bowl, and that's what all the veteran players that had those those seven champion uh, NFC West championships. That's what everybody had been striving for, and uh, the exciting. But you know, the discouraging thing was is we lost we lost the game. You know, we made. Uh, a couple big mistakes defensively. Really offensively, you know, we we had some opportunities that we really missed. When you go back and look at the film, you know, there's big plays that were there that we, for some reason, we didn't find them. But we, we played well defensively, but when you make a mistake in that game, you know, it costs you, no question. Was that the toughest loss in your career? Yeah, you have to say yes, because it's the biggest game of the season. That's the ultimate uh, to get there. And when you have the opportunity to win a game, you've got to 
you've got to do it. You've got to make those plays and be really focused. You know, and we were focused. There's no question we were focused because we knew exactly what we wanted to do. But the communication, you just you can't assume. You can't assume that you've got to communicate it. The next year, though, in 1980, there were, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm looking just through research. But you were there. There were higher expectations right. for the Rams because of that Super Bowl visit in 1979. But they, you guys weren't right. able to repeat that magic. What happened in 1980 that you guys just didn't quite get? Well, you know what? I don't even I, – I don't remember, to be very honest, Derek. I would suggest maybe we lost some players. Some players retired. Changes that that happened there, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure. I couldn't expand on that for you. But what you're really telling me here is, is really kind of neat because – that's also your best statistical season. And for many right. players in today's age, you remember that year that was you put the most numbers up and so on and so forth, but you really don't remember it all too much. And that tells me that I, you are more team-oriented than, than just about individual accolades. Well, you know, back then, it, it was all team. When I joined the Rams in 77, it was team. If a one of the players was had a had some type of injury that he was questionable playing. I mean, you'd hear him hear that player time and time. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I just I, I give me the week rest and and he says I'll be ready to go. And ninety five percent of the time they were out there playing. Now should they have been? I don't know that, but I'm telling you what that's the mentality that everybody had. I'll be ready on Sunday. I'll be there on Sunday for you. And then you just got to give me some rest during the week and let me get, get myself uh, where I can play. But it, there was no thought of of contracts or or sitting out because of sore hamstring. That never, ever came up. It was It was for the team, and the team was first, regardless of what we had. Well, speaking of playing hurt, what was it like to play with Jack Youngblood? Well, that's that's the ultimate, you know, from the standpoint of uh, when somebody you know has a cracked bone in their in their leg. He basically told the doctors, he says, "I'm not missing these games. This is what I've been. This is what we we live for, and I'm not missing this this playoff because we were we kind of got hot." The 79 season, every one of our offensive linemen, well, there was one. There was one that did not have a surgery. Uh, all the others had surgery sometime during that year. We got a, we got the offensive line back intact. I believe it was, I think it was the 10th game. And then we ran off five straight wins and ended up winning the division. And we were on a roll. And people weren't beat up. And maybe that was one of the things that was in that 79 season is, uh, you know, the offensive line kind of just was getting back and going again at that point in the season. Now, you ended up playing your entire career with this team. So what does it mean yeah. for you to have retired as a Ram? That's the only team you ever played for. It makes me, me feel very proud of, of my performance, number one, because of, they didn't want to get rid of me. And, uh, you know, I stayed and, and played my whole career there. But, but again, you didn't have opportunity to move. That wasn't choice. Uh, you ended up, you hate to say stuck there, but it took away a lot of leverage from negotiating contracts. You know, because where else are you going to go? I, we own your rights. So there's no place you can go that, 
that's one of the bad things, but I'm very, very happy that, that my career was with one team, and I'm, I was very happy with the Los Angeles Rams. You still retired at a pretty young age, at 32. What caused you to retire at that age? Well, my, you know, I had a couple uh, knee injuries and uh, I think just arthritis. The training that, that I did probably wasn't the right training. When I look back on it now, I, I spent a lot more time worrying about making sure my knees will make it through the rest of the next season rather than, than going out and getting some personal trainer type of that everybody has now, mm-hmm. personal trainer type of guys that, that would get me back into where uh, I still uh, could run and, and have the flexibility and mobility that I had uh, when I was, uh, you know, 26, 27. Now, you enter coaching after retiring. and What are some of your best experiences as a coach? I tell you what, my best experience was actually my first my first uh, experience was at Green Bay, Wisconsin. I uh, I got a chance to go there with Mike Holmgren in 1992, and uh, uh, they were build, rebuilding the whole team, and I got to be a chance to be the special teams coach, and so that was that was huge to me. Mike took a, sh- a chance on me to be the special teams coach, and and I'll be very honest. I was not a very good coach my first year. You've got a little bit. You're doing it yourself, and you you got to learn to to budget your time. And because you don't have a lot of time in practice, you've got about 15 minutes for for your special team period, and and then you're you're done. So you got to make up that first 15 minutes. Really make it good. So I got a chance to go there, and then Mike made me a better coach. And then I and I through experiences and different things, become a better coach. And then we started putting things together. And Mike and Ron Wolf put together a great team that had uh, depth. And consequently, the better the better depth you have, the better special teams players I get to use. So it, it all kind of correlates together. So you were there in the early part of Brett Farr's career. i got to ask, what was so special about Brett Farr, especially early in his career? I think just his thought of not – you know, worrying about making a mistake. Now, Mike Holmgren, if you made a mistake, you paid for it. I mean, he made sure you didn't make it again. But, but, but Brett, it didn't save him. He, he, you know, he'd go out there, and if he felt this was the thing that was the right thing to do, following you know Mike's instructions and everything. I mean, but. If he made a mistake, he didn't worry about it. He'd, he'd come right back and and do the same thing again and make that throw or or make that right decision. So you know they call him a gunslinger. I think it's a little bit of of uh, myth on on that from the standpoint of he was very disciplined by how Mike called the game and especially early in his career. He he really followed the instruction of Mike and, and Mike called the game for, for Brett to be successful. You got to actually go back later on and coach the Rams wide receivers in 2010 and 2011. What was it like to yeah. return to your old team as a coach? It was interesting and uh, uh, number one we were in St. Louis. It just didn't feel the Rams in St. Louis no. that I'm sure glad they're back in Los Angeles right now. But it was really interesting because of the talent or the lack of talent in certain areas on on the team. It just wasn't the same same group or the same Ram teams that uh, I remember. But uh, it was uh, 
uh, consequently, you know, we, we did the best we could with what talent we had, and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was tough back then. To these days, what are you doing? How do you keep yourself busy? I enjoy fishing. I do uh, quite a bit of that, as my wife will uh, contest. But uh, <laughs> but we spend our time. I've got uh, I've got two uh, kids, and I've got two grandkids that uh, we get we take time to drive back up to the state of Washington, where they're at, and uh, see them. And we have a daughter that lives in New Orleans right now, so we've we've seen her one time and. So we're we're traveling and and basically traveling, seeing the family and and uh, just just enjoying ourselves, uh, uh, taking one day at a time and and making the most of it. And last question, I promise. What do you want Rams fans to remember most about you and your career? I you know I think it, it's a typical thing. I think I think you, you you want people to respect your play. You want them to know that you you give your, your all every time you are on the. Uh, on the field, and I was a team player. You know, I team was first for me. I could care less about my personal achievements. I really could. I I I just believe that that we, with that type of mentality, I think you got a chance to have success regardless of the talent on the team. Okay, Nolan, thank you so much for coming on the show with us and tell us about your life and your career. It's it means a lot to us that uh that you are willing to come on and, and just talk about it because. That's what that's what we live for. That's what our site's all about. And again, just thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Take care now. All right. Well, I gotta tell you, it was an honor to, to sit down and talk with that man. He's just there's just so much in there, and there are things I regret that I didn't think about in the process of the interview and planning the interview. I didn't know how delicate some subjects are, like the Hall of Fame question, which I think we have to really get to. Uh, but what did you take from that conversation, Steve? It was interesting, man. It's definitely a different era. It's interesting to see here I'm talk about how guys never really sat out due to injuries, which is crazy and admirable. Also, probably not safe, but it was definitely a different era. It was also pretty cool to hear him talk about the draft, how he was in class when he got drafted, which is funny because a lot of guys are already not going to class when they're entering the draft at this point. <laughs> they're done. They're tapping yeah. up. They're out. They're out at the end of the season. And another thing that's crazy and pretty relevant on a day where LeBron James signed with the Lakers, how he talked about and they really had no leverage at that point because there was no free agency. Teams just owned their rights. And it's just interesting to hear someone that really dealt with that talk about it in a way that, you know, I'm sure even if he would have stayed with the Rams, I'm sure he would have liked it be able to explore options and ultimately would have probably gotten himself a little more money in that way it's it was just a different time where now really the powers of the players and football it's less than other sports but the players really they hold more car a lot more cards than they did during Cromwell's day one thing that stood out to me too was the fact that he when I asked him how it felt to be a ram you know he mentioned he was proud of it but it seemed like that part the fact that he never got a chance to choose for himself was kind of weighing the back of his mind a little bit. Did did you, did you get that? Is that did that come across to you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. as it should. You watch these guys now that they can go wherever they want. Really, uh, they the teams have a lot of control. In the NFL, I'd say it's about fifty fifty in terms of who holds the cards. And back then, it was probably what ninety ten, if that even. Well, you didn't get Plan B free agency until nineteen ninety two. Yeah, so it's it's crazy how much different it is and. 
I'm sure all of those guys would have liked to have some freedom. Luckily for him, he played well on a solid market, and it seems like he enjoyed his time on the Rams a lot. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure all those guys were. Well, he was still clearly proud to be a Ram. Don't please don't anybody think that I, <laughs> I, I was like, no, no. But you could tell that when he said that, that is something that he's just reminding you. Yeah, you know, yes, I love being a Ram. It's special to me. I, but, man, I also lived in an era where I didn't get a chance to choose. And that's all of us today. We pretty much can choose our jobs. The only thing you don't get chosen for is if you're you're in draft in the middle of like World War II. You didn't have a choice for that when you're going. I, so I, I I get that. You didn't get to choose where you're going to work. In this case, so also, I also, I also wonder about free agency with him. The Rams' defensive strategy changed in 1983. And if you look at his numbers, too, from that point forward, his numbers drop. And you kind of have to wonder if, given the opportunity, if Mr. Cromwell would have looked at other teams because that scheme the Rams played between 1983 and when he retired after 87 just wasn't the same. Yeah, and I mean, really, it's even relevant today. You look at when the Rams bring in Wade Phillips. We were a team that ran a 4-3 for a long time and we switched the defense and guys a lot of guys aren't cut out for that defense on our roster we need to bring in guys that can play in that in that type of system and without free agency really it kind of ties both of their hands the guys in the rams are just gonna be sitting on the bench where they could play well in a 4-3 for other teams and without free agency there's less options on the market for the rams themselves to go and get mm-hmm. guys that are made for that system so it, free agency, I know a lot of people don't like guys that move around all the time that you could criticize loyalty or whatever, which I don't agree with. But it's definitely beneficial to everyone in a, in a lot of ways, even if it makes it harder for the team to keep some guys in the long run. It also makes it easier for them to acquire new talent. It does. I, I do look at the 80s, though, and wonder, OK, and with the air he played in, you know, he Nolan Cromwell played the 49ers twice a year do the 49ers win five Super Bowls in the 80s with free agency yeah it's it's an interesting question and there's not really any way to know there's not really any way to be able to tell outside of asking these guys themselves would how much would they have moved around would it be like sports today where guys are talking about teaming up would it be like would they want to go to bigger markets it's it's really just tough to tell and I think the rant I think the 49ers probably would have been pretty set but you never know because guys like jerry rice would have gotten offered a lot of money from other teams with free agency guys like joe montana would have been the same way it's just harder to keep teams together now and i think that is the biggest thing and that's in a way what the patriots have done is really impressive winning this many super bowls but they've really had kind of two different eras of teams that won super bowls with the only constants being belichick and brady so it is tough to say I think they would have won a couple still, but who knows if they would have been able to keep the core of that team together for so long. I think he would have won a couple. I also wonder, given the, how players viewed Frontier versus DeBartolo in that era, how it would have turned out as well. Would players have rather gone to the Rams or not? I'm guessing they probably would have rather gone to the 49ers. 49ers were a class organization back then. So part of me thinks, eh, those Super Bowls in that era – that was, I think it was what, four in the 80s and then one in the 90s? Yeah. I, I think they probably win them all, if not win more. I, just because of the way they attract the players, wanted to play for the 49ers. It wasn't, 
it wasn't like many were going to leave. It probably would have got more. It's just a thought in my mind. But then again, I'm going to go ahead and flip myself. If there's free agency, you may see a quick rise in Dallas down there. You may see a quick rise in other teams. Who knows? Who knows? It's tough to tell. It's definitely interesting what ifs, but it's really hard to say on that end. But I do want to go back, though. We're, we're getting off topic. Mr. Cromwell, Nolan Cromwell, I got to watch him play towards the end. And when he was on the field, there was just a presence in that defensive backfield. And it was pretty much that way through all the 1980s. He's on, he was named in 1990 as a member of the 1980s Hall of Fame team. Uh, he's, a member, he's on the second team with uh, Joey Browner, who was a Viking safety, and also Deron Cherry, who played for the Chiefs. I guess the question is, do you believe Nolan Cromwell belongs to the Hall of Fame? It's tough to say. Look, looking at his just accolades, he, he's definitely a fringe Hall of Fame guy. It's, it's tough to say definitively anyways, but you watch him. This is one of your all-time favorite players. Make the case to me if you think he's in the Hall of Fame. Or should be in the well, I need to acknowledge two things. Okay, I need to acknowledge two things. One of them, you already mentioned it. The, the system he played in changed after 1983. And the second is he retired in 1987. So he's relatively young when he retires. And at age 32, he plays basically one, two, three, four, five, what, 11 years. It really only plays as a safety, as a starter for nine. Kind of hurt himself in a way, by retiring early. But he did it on his own terms, by the way. I want to stress that. He did it on his own terms. Those are the those are the, the drawbacks I see in his candidacy. He didn't play long enough to really kind of put up the numbers. And that's also an era where you didn't – they weren't counting sacks yet. They weren't counting pass defend. If you look – like, for example, if you go to his, his profile on Pro Football Reference, they don't have any marking for passes defended for him. Nothing. We know that's not true. We know he we know he was more of an, you know, we don't have any kind of listing for his tackles. So those kind of put him behind the eight ball a little bit. But this is what I can tell you. As a safety for the Los Angeles Rams, Nolan Cromwell was a force against all teams. Nobody wanted to play against him. Nobody did. He was a presence. He was a leadership presence on the field. He was a, a guy that nobody wanted to throw in his direction. We knew you can talk about Ronnie Lott, and Ronnie Lott's great, one of the best. You know, mentioned just a little bit ago, Joey Browner. He's up there with those guys. And the numbers don't show that because they didn't keep track of all of them. The interception tolls are great. Throughout his entire career, from 1978 all the way to 87, so the one year he didn't play in the secondary, and he was a backup in 78 and 79 starting. But from 78 all the way to the end, he recorded at least one interception a year, only had one in one year, never had less than two after 1978, eight interceptions in 1980, 140 yards. He is the Rams' all-time leader, I believe, if I, remember, I think, at last check, in terms of interception return yardage. He had a beautiful return in 1981, 94 yards on interception return. I just, the numbers don't show how good he was. And that's a problem. That's a real problem because if you can just take a, a peek at the interception numbers alone as a safety, you know he was good. If you just listen to and talk to the other members of that Rams team from the era, you know how good he was. 
And for that, I believe he does belong in the Hall of Fame. It's just a shame that all the, you know, because we're a numbers league, right? The Hall of Fame has become a numbers thing. They, they, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It's numbers, it's accolades. It's it's a hard Hall of Fame to get into, and it's harder for defensive backs. Similar to receivers, it's not that many in them. Overall, looking at the Hall of Fame website, there's 26 defensive backs in the Hall of Fame. Now, we're talking safeties as his own position. Could basically cut that in half, maybe even a little yeah. less. A lot of these guys played both. It's it's just a tough position to get into. There aren't many safeties in there, man. No, wide that's receivers part of the is a tough position to get into. And there's more wide receivers in the Hall of Fame than defensive backs. And that's both cornerbacks and safeties. So there's not a lot of safeties in the Hall of Fame just at all. And I think that's part of the problem. You look at a guy like John Lynch, who was a very good player over the last couple of years, and he, he still hasn't gotten to the Hall of Fame. And his accolades, I mean, nine-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, one-time second-team. He's still on the ballot. So that's just I think that just kind of goes to show you how tough it is to get in that position, and that, that hasn't gone well for Cromwell. I mean, look at that Hall of Fame list, though. Look at the Hall of Fame list from the 1980s. I just mentioned two of the names, Joey Browner, Deron Cherry, also Kenny Easley. From 81 to 87 of the Seahawks, he was very, very good. And then also Ronnie Lott. I'm looking, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing only Ronnie Lott is in the Hall of Fame from that. Kenny Easley got inducted last year. Okay, so, so I'm off. Kenny Easley got in. Well, that's so, that's telling, too, that it took him that long, and his accolades are a little better than Cromwell's, but not much better. So, yeah, looking at the all-decade team, yeah, Easley and Ronnie Lott are in there, but Browner's not. Darren Cherry and Lester Hayes and uh, Frank Minifield are not in there either. Okay, well, here you go. Let's uh, Kenny Easley, 32 interceptions for 538 yards, three touchdowns in seven seasons. Nolan Cromwell was a starter. Eight seasons, has 37 interceptions, 671 yards, four touchdowns, NFL Defensive Player of the Year by the Kansas City Committee of 101 in 1980. I mean, the numbers are, I think, comparable to Easley's. He played a little bit longer. And I go look at Duron Cherry's, and Duron Cherry with 11 years, 15-year reception, 688 yards, nearly 1,000 tackles. By that point, they have some of his tackle numbers there. Joya Browner, 83-91 um, for the Vikings, 92 for the, for the Buccaneers, four All-Pro selections, Three victory consensus, uh, six-time Pro Bowl. So the only thing that kind of hurts Nolan here is a four-time Pro Bowl. He was a three-time All-Pro. And, again, a lot of that comes in. Look where he's playing. Joey Browner joins the league, A3. Deron Cherry joins the league, A3. Kenny Easley's joined the league. He's in this. I mean, I'm talking about 81. 81, uh, Kenny Easley. Uh, Ryan Lodge in 81. So you are competing for Pro Bowl spots. Joey Browner in the NFC, and Ryan Lott in the NFC. Cherry, Krama, Browner, none of those guys have even been finalists. So I think that's kind of telling as to how the numbers game didn't help any of them and that the safeties are just not having a tough time getting into the Hall of Fame. So it is tough that he he's on the outside looking and he there's a good chance he stays there. But it's just it's a tough position to get in the Hall of Fame. But does that mean he doesn't deserve it, though? I believe he does. I believe he deserves it. No, I, I don't uh, think so. Like I said, I didn't watch this team growing up. I think I think you're more a 
opinionated on that. But, yeah, his numbers are there. He played on some good teams. He was an anchor on a lot of those teams. So he's definitely in the conversation. Well, I, I honestly believe that once Jack Youngblood retires in 1984, alongside guys like Leroy Irvin, he becomes the, the anchor. He becomes that guy. He was the one who was there for the Super Bowl after Youngblood's gone. I mean, these you have guys come in later, Johnny Johnson. Uh, I'm struggling with words on this because it is a little personal with me. I, I didn't show it in the, on the interview too much, I don't think, but it is personal because Cromwell, to me, as watching the Rams, everything after he retired, everything to me was compared to what would Cromwell do? <laughs> you know, they couldn't find the guy to replace Cromwell in the secondary the way they would have liked to. Yeah. And that's how much he meant to that team. And to me, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that just a couple of years after he retires, that team falls the, the team falls into oblivion. And part of it was the secondary was was just awful. After Cromwell retires, Stewart retires, uh, Johnny Johnson retires. Irvin retires. They never replaced those guys. But to me, Cromwell was the heart of all that. No, no offense, no, no offense to any of them, um, but Cromwell was kind of the guy who was the linchpin there at the safety position. Okay, so before we move on, and by the way, folks, I am going to write. I'm already working. I'm writing a piece on that. I'm going to make the case for no one getting the Hall of Fame. We kind of made it here, but I, I, uh, I believe he should. But I also believe, you know, if I'm fair, I'm going to believe that Browner and Cherry probably belong in there too is and it's not really right that these safeties kind of get overlooked in the name of other positions it's kind of a it's kind of a bum thing to do uh it's about summertime it is summertime in socal okay sun hot weather visits to the pool and we know lebron will be out there in the pool very soon mm. okay with his kids and family guys guess what they're all lakers now they're lakers we'll be on that in a minute if you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plaster Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue, Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plaster Remodeling serves Orange County in the Southland, run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built this business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. So just head on over to jayhawkpools.com and take a look at the work. So you can see the quality of their finishes and the testimony provided by past customers if you're looking to remodel resurface or even put a new pool give jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700 again that's 714-695-0700 you can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com folks this is a great opportunity to support our podcast and help fellow members of the rams family help them out the rambling if you live out in the air give jayhawk pool plaster a call you'll be glad you did also we're looking for sponsors for 2018, it's a great and expensive way to get uh, your advertising, the word out there. Our numbers are growing. They've grown very, very much since September of last year, folks. You know, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice. We have media get the show and send to you. Email us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Okay, here we go, Steve. You ready? Tonight, tonight, the Lakers sign LeBron James to a four-year deal for let's just uh, call it crazy money okay crazy crazy money <laughs> and somehow he's underpaid and, and somehow and like, he's realistically underpaid. he's underpaid and adding some drama to it the lakers just after that apparently reportedly have signed lance stevenson to join the team and are also in it on a couple other uh stars as well. McGee and contavious caldwell pope well, yeah, he was already there but did they get mcgee 
McGee just signed. Yeah, I got NBA TV oh. on right now. Oh, my gosh. So this team is loading up. If they're signing players like that, I'm guessing they're probably going to go all in and getting some of those guys out of there for Colby Leonard. Initial thoughts on this and the effect it's going to have on the sports market in general in Los Angeles. Well, any anytime you have LeBron, it's huge. Now, I don't think in terms of the market, it's not going to be as big of an impact as, say, him going back to Cleveland because that's a market that needed him. Los Angeles doesn't need LeBron, but – Anywhere that LeBron is, your market skyrockets. The, those Laker tickets are going to be a lot more expensive. I'm sure they're already expensive. Uh, it's, it's good for the Rams. You know, you're going to have a lot more people into the Los Angeles sports scene now that the Lakers are back. I think you would have yeah, – more people were into it with Kobe. You're going to get younger kids who are becoming basketball fans that are watching LeBron. If they're not going to be Cavs fans anymore, they're going to be Laker fans. Maybe they get into the whole market. Maybe they become Rams fans. Maybe they become Chargers fans too, but that's a different story. But I think in terms of just the decision in general, people really underestimated how much this decision was going to be about his family and less about the basketball fit. I think if he was all about winning a championship right now, he would have went to – he would have signed with Philly or he would have gotten a trade to the Rockets. But I think he his kids are older. I think he wanted to make a decision that would benefit them. And I think that really came down to Cleveland or L.A., where which are the two places they live. And I think he was pretty much over that Cleveland roster. They're in cap hell. Meanwhile, the Lakers, while they got a lot of young talent, they're basically a clean slate outside of that stupid Luol Dang contract that the previous regime signed that is hampering their ability to make moves right now. But well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kawhi. I think even if that doesn't happen, Ingram, Ball, those are very promising young players that might skyrocket in their potential with LeBron or kind of just go to the wayside while he takes over. But I don't know. It's definitely – it's obviously great for Los Angeles. It's great for the Lakers. And – when, when LeBron's in your market, everything everything is a little more intriguing and interesting, and people are going to be following everything you do. And I think a Rams team that's going to be really good next year, paired with the Lakers team that's going to be the talk of the league, whether they're really good or not, you got to think they will be because they have the best player in the world. It's Things are happening in L.A. How does this affect the Rams to you, though, overall? I think it'll put more eyes on us. I think more eyes will be on the city. I think the more eyes will be on the Lakers players who in turn will be going to football games probably in the off season. And I think they're going to go to the better team with the more marketable guys like Todd Gurley, who it's a very marketable dude. Same with Aaron Donald. I, I think people will want to come to LA. I think they already do, but it's just in general, it's telling that the best player in the world chose to go to a team that has nobody. He's not there with another star. He didn't go there with Paul George. As far as we know, and this is ever-changing, so this could change by the time the podcast is up, there's no (laughs) traction on the Kawhi Leonard front, even though he seems like he wants to be there eventually. That's good for the Rams in terms of free agency. Guys are going to want to play there. And we've seen a lot of players this offseason have come to L.A. I I don't think Ndamukong Sue comes to St. Louis on a one-year deal. I just don't see that. I think we've already seen the effect. I think this kind of just proves that people want to be in LA it's it's a place that NBA players NFL players 
uh, pretty much all the other sports. This is the it's a great market to market your, themselves. People are going to see what LeBron's doing, and they're going to want to go for the same thing, and they might make the trip out there as well. So I think just it's a good thing for signing players. It's a good thing for the buzz around the team. Uh, there's definitely no negative connotations. I don't think he's going to steal the spotlight because maybe he'll steal the spotlight from mid-October to the end of November. But once the playoffs are ramping up, the Rams are going to be in the hotbed, assuming that they're there, which I fully expect. Well, I guess this is a weird kind of connection for me to make, but there's another star out in L.A. who hasn't got his money yet. His name is Aaron Donald. And with the changes in the winds out there in terms of market and stars and selling tickets, do is there any pressure? This is, feels like a dumb question, but I kind of look at it economic. You guys know me. I'm an economic thinker. I think about money. I think about how markets. I've gotten in numerous debates online about how markets work, especially in the years that offended the L.A. market <laughs> to some of the old St. Louis trolls. How value, How important is it for the Rams to get their star? locked up in Aaron Donald now that we're seeing other stars moving out West for other teams and why you're and why you're in the same market and why you all want each other to do well, you are competing for their business. Not everybody can afford to go to both a Rams game and a Lakers game. Sometimes you got to choose between the two of them. Well, on that front, I think this move helps the Rams because we're going to be the more affordable team here. I think correct me on that if I'm wrong, but the, the Lakers, I feel like, were already a hot ticket, and now they're the hottest ticket in the NBA. Them and them and the Warriors. LeBron is – when Cleveland comes to town, tickets go up. When the LeBron's in town every night in L.A. for probably the most historic franchise in the NBA, those tickets are going up. And so I, I don't think in terms of that, I'm not sure how much of an effect it will have. I think it will make the Rams – more of a hotter ticket just because it's going to be a hotter sports town. Now, in terms of Aaron Donald, I don't think this really has any effect on it. And I think for Rams fans, and I, I've been working on an article about this that hopefully I'll get out this week, It Aaron Donald's going to be there week one of the preseason. I will almost guarantee it. With a contract or not, I expect him to be there a month before the season starts because if he – doesn't show up a month before the season he loses a year of service time yes so basically he'll be a restricted free agent if he doesn't show up that's not where he wants to be it's not like he's not getting paid anything he's gets seven million dollars this year that's more than he's made in his career so far that's not money you're going to want to give away now he should get a contract he definitely wants a contract we should be giving him a new contract but if for some reason and i can't imagine it drags out to that point, he doesn't have a contract. I think he'll be there. And basically what that means for the Rams is he'll be an unrestricted free agent, but they could just franchise tag him and then put an extension. There's just, there's no cap room on the team right now, and they haven't done anything to open that cap room. So it's just, it's just such a standstill. And while it seems likely that they're going to resolve this as they should, and as he he's going to get paid at some point, and I really I I'm 99 sure it's going to be by the Rams. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but I'm not worried that he's not going to be there, and I I I don't think this puts any pressure on it. Well, there's a lot of money available next season, not yeah. as much as there was was before, but there is still a lot available. My feeling is when it comes to Aaron Donald, and this is what drives me nuts: the media and the, and many fans, not all fans, so guys, don't get don't get upset with us. I promise. 
We're not trying to offend here. But many people are hung up on Aaron Donald. They're hung up on the idea that why haven't they signed him yet? The Rams are messing this up. Honestly, knowing how these teams work, and this is listening to how Les Snead's talked, I really believe Aaron Donald and the front office are like, okay, dude, you do what you got to do because of, you know, unions and so on and so forth and just the fact you don't have a contract. So go ahead and hold out. We're fine. We'll be it's, – it's all to me they know what they're doing. They've been there. They know the game. They're playing the game. But they also know he'll come to camp in shape. They all know this. You're right. He's going to be there just on time to get his service time in. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for, for as you get older, these veterans don't want to be there in camp. They're trying to protect their bodies. And the and the teams know that. I think that's why no one in the in the team is actually panicking. You don't hear anything kind of the Rams organization about them being upset he's not at camp. Nobody's upset he's not at camp. Who cares? They don't care. And that's telling to me. That tells me, look, they got this in hand. There's going to be a new contract. What they probably are going to do is they'll play out this year. And they'll make up the lost money on the next contract. They'll probably front load that thing for next year, and bam, they're done. Yeah, and. I would like just like to see him get resigned. I could see it dragging out through the season. I think it's less likely, but he's getting franchise tagged a hundred percent. He's not entering free agency. He will have a tag for sure. And I, I think if he plays this year, they're just going to resign him in the off season. Now I think he would not be thrilled about that. And I think we don't want to alienate this man. He's one of the best players this team has ever had. So it's just, it's just such a mess. It's, it stinks that there's no cap space right now, but it is what it is. And ultimately, you know, we could be losing Mark Barron if we keep him or if we give him the extensions. I, I don't know. It's it's weird that it's dragged out this long, but I think you're right. I think they're just like, we know you're going to be there. You're going to get your money eventually, but we, we're we not sure when we can give it to you or they're just off financially. And I'm not – I don't know. It, it's It's really hard to tell because we're not in there negotiating. And there hasn't been a lot on that front that's come out, except for that whole Khalil Mack thing where they're, one, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how the next month plays out because this is the most – this is the time to, to get it done is July. It might, hey, it might already be done, and they're just waiting for the right time under the cap to sign it. I mean, that's all – it could already be done. It could be all rice and written and just sitting on Snead's desk. Like, okay, look at this. That's a contract. When we're ready, we'll have it signed. It's there. We don't know. And that's the thing that's got me kind of annoyed is that we don't know where what's really going on in that office. We don't know what's been said between Aaron Donald and Les Snead. We don't. But yet there's so much speculation that the Rams are screwing this up. I'm I'm not so sure they're screwing this up. No, it's hard to tell. I'm not. I don't think they're screwing it up. I don't think Aaron Donald's screwing it up. I think it's just it's kind of is what it is. I. It's just tough financially. We don't really have the caps room, and we want to compete this year. And we know we're in a better com- position to compete right now with the players we have. Like I said, I I genuinely think that Mark Barron's getting cut if Donald signs that extension this year because that's the closest they're going to get to making the money work. But I I. Don't think they would want to do that, even though Mark Barron's a little overpaid. He's like our only linebacker that has any experience starting. So it's, I don't know, man. It's, I I want them to pay the man, but if they were going to cut him, I think they would have cut him already. I I don't, I think they had to wait until the June 1st. So where's July 1st? So, but there's just, there's no point of cutting him unless 
that Donald contract is locked in. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to screw the other player over too by holding on to when he's going to be signed with somebody else either. No, no, I totally agree. But so I, I, I hope they don't cut him. I hope I don't think they are. Yeah, I just, I'm not ready to rule it out yet. Okay, so folks, this is going to be a this is you know this is one of my favorite shows. Interviewing Nolan Cromwell was a pleasure. It was one of the I think one of the more special moments for our podcast, and I I really really hope that he uh, enjoyed the conversation with us. He's a an all time great for the Rams, and you know I just I hope he gets in. As for Aaron Donald, well we've we've, we've said our piece. LeBron's a Laker. Things are going crazy in Los Angeles right now, and football's just around the corner. Lance Stevenson and LeBron James teammates <laughs> together. Dream okay. has come true. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talk Rams and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can also find us. We have a group as well because of the student Facebook algorithm. Uh, join Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and Steve at Steve Ribeiro. Yes, I've been getting lots of friend requests and also been. So we're, uh, you guys are listening to the podcast. All right. Don't forget to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and iEBeat Radio. For Steve Ribeiro, this is Derek C. Apollo. Take it easy. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history still in the making? Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.